from the fabulous WSUM Madison Studios, it's Do It Live, hosted by the Do It Geeks. This week we're talking about the e-textbook revolution, how big giant backpacks and sore backs may be a thing of the past. Joining us in the studio, Phil Groupie, Stephen Ventura, Les Howells, and Bruce Moss. Along with our regular geeks, Teresa Saldana and Andy Muschlewski. And now, broadcasting live and local on 91.7 FM and streaming worldwide on WSUM.org, please help me welcome my co-host, Ty Christian. here on Thursday afternoon. It's a wonderful Thursday afternoon, and it's a wonderful Thursday to talk tech with everyone out there in the radio land. You are listening to Do It Live, the most connected radio show on the planet. Visit us online, doit.wisc.edu forward slash radio. That's doit.wisc.edu forward slash radio. There are so many ways to get in contact with us. So many, many ways. You can call us, 608-515-8768. You can email us, of course. This is a tech talk show. We do have email. Radio at doit.wisc.edu. We've got chat. We've got AIM. We've got Skype. Facebook. Check us out on Facebook. UWDoIt is our Facebook address. That is facebook.com forward slash UWDoIt. So if you forget about all of the wonderful ways to get in contact with us, just go to our homepage, doit.wisc.edu forward slash radio, and check them out. We are also on iTunes. Check out iTunes for all of our podcasts. And uh, today we are talking about... We've got a great show for everybody here today. We are talking about the e-textbook revolution, the amazing, wonderful new e-textbooks. You... You might, uh, all, all the people probably in the room today have, have wonderful uh, memories of, of lugging giant 80-pound textbooks up and down Bascom Hill, I'm, I'm guessing. I certainly do. And now we get to talk about all of the wonderful ways that you can get rid of those huge, giant textbooks. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And joining us, as always, is the wonderful Do It Deeks, Andy Machewski, and Teresa Salonia. How's it going, guys? Going great. Right. How's it going, Ty? It's going great. It's going great. So, um, before we dive into the wonderful world of e-text and uh, how to get that backpack a little lighter, we are going to go and start off our show the way that we start off every show with Teresa Saldana with the news. It's Teresa Saldana, Emmy Award-winning anchor and winner of five Tony Awards with the news. With all the awards I've won, I don't know how you keep track. I know it's it's difficult. There's okay. so many awards. So tell us tell us about the news. No, so actually, to start off the news, you know, Andy brought this up right before we got in here. You were talking to me about some new uh, Linux box. Was it what was it called? You said Raspberry Raspberry Pie. What is that? It's a yummy treat. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's actually um, a little computer that's being developed. It's not out on the market yet. It should be in late February. It's going to be extremely Low cost, under fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, an open source computer running a Linux dr- distribution on it. Um, basically, it's about the size of your smartphone. Okay. And it's going to have a 
HDMI output so you can hook it up to your television. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly capable of full 1080p resolution. Um, so it's definitely an interesting thing. The uh, developers have made it for basically for classrooms to have a low-cost computer mm-hmm. in every classroom. Um, oh, okay. And they're, they're from um, the UK, so whether or not we'll able, be able to get our hands on one here in the United States quickly is... Sure. Well, just from the way you're describing it, I was actually wondering, um, you know, with having the 1080p output and HDMI, if this was somehow going to be a um, Apple TV competitor, since, you know, that's obviously a very small box, you know, close to the size of a smartphone. Um, but it doesn't. It sounds like it's more for educational purposes. Yeah, that that's the intent. But you could do video playback on it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, a- anybody who's familiar with Linux distribution. Um, the video codecs don't come native, and you've got to do some actual mm-hmm. command line stuff to get those to okay. work. So there, it may not be for everyone, but... Um, sure. Do you know if it's being released with some kind of software package, or is this some kind of special educational deal? So there's no hard drive in it. It's going to come with an SD card slot, and you'll have the opportunity to buy an SD card with the preloaded OS on it from the company. Oh, okay. oh wow. I'd be interested to hear the opinions of our guests on that. Uh, uh, you know, do you guys use Linux or anything? And and uh, excuse me, my, where are my manners? We we have to go around and introduce all you guys to the radio uh, listeners because obviously they can't see us. So why don't we start <laughs> over here and we'll go. Uh, just go ahead and introduce yourselves and and say where you're from. I'm Les Howells. I work at Do It. I'm an e-learning consultant and am project managing the e-text pilot. Okay. I'm Phil Gruppi. I'm a master's student in the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies, and I'm a teaching assistant for one of the classes that's using this pilot program. Steve Ventura, professor of environmental studies and soil science, and co-teach Forum on the Environment with Professor Kevin McSweeney. Bruce Moss, vice provost for IT and chief information officer at UW-Madison. All right. Well, thanks very much, guys, for being here today. So, have have any of you? Do you do you think there's a that you'd have a use for this uh, this type of a a Linux box for so cheap? You know, do anybody think of any any uses? No, <laughs> they're shaking their I, I heads. I assume that it uh, will run all kinds of browsers, and that's all you need to run a an e-text. For so, sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe this could be a hardware solution for something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, rather than spending a few thousand dollars on a computer to put in every classroom, I see this in more elementary education, that uh, kind of thing. I mean, for sure, you can literally have a computer in every classroom. Um, you could even possibly have a like a personally owned computer, you know, for every student. They could, uh, I mean, for for as cheap as it is, you know, there may be mm-hmm. some sort of a school subsidizing program kind of thing that maybe they could get on, you know, get on and have a have a, a computer that a student can use. It reminds me of those um, those low cost laptops. Do you remember the, the ones the the um, what is it called the the one one person one laptop the yeah the ones what, that we're sending oh. out to to um, Africa to and developing countries developing yeah countries um, and it, they were I think they were less than one hundred and fifty dollars or something yeah I, I don't remember what they're called though. Um, I think it's one one laptop per child or something. Oh yeah yeah. yeah. yeah I'm gonna look mm-hmm. this up right now while you guys are talking. Yeah, do you find it, Sandy, or is Ty looking it up? Okay. Yeah, it is. One it's, laptop, it's one per, laptop child. per child. It's laptop.org. If you guys yeah. want to 
see some more yeah, so this pictures is, of the it. The Raspberry Pi is based on that same principle to get mm-hmm. to get um, a but computer in the hands of people that wouldn't be able to afford one otherwise. It isn't isn't that one though? It's um, I thought there was some ability to actually run it off of like human power. Like it yes. takes as much yeah. energy. Some as... Some of them had a hand yeah. crank. Yeah. With a hand yeah. crank, yeah. right? Right. <laughs> so not like running on a wheel and. No, no, no. <laughs> oh. yeah. no. Uh-huh. Or they could have like a foot pedal, like a sewing machine would. That yeah. it's it takes the same amount of energy. So that, that's just what made me wheel think. Or of. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so does the Raspberry have uh, built-in wireless, or is that a three hundred dollar um, add-on? So, so it, it doesn't have wireless, but it does have a USB port and a wired Ethernet port. So. Um, you you can definitely get it connected to the internet. Um, getting Linux drivers to work for a USB wireless card may be um, beyond some basic users, but um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, we should get used to this kind of innovation happening. It's going to keep happening, mm-hmm. and it's going to be disruptive on one one side, and it's going to be really interesting on another because there is so much innovation coming out right now, and the challenge will be how do we incorporate it into what we're doing. Definitely, right. definitely. All right, Chief, so what else we have in the so, news today? Um, speaking of interacting, interactive technologies, uh, an article that I saw um, talking about buffalo wild wings. I know, weird <laughs> topic to bring up, right? A delicious topic to bring they're up. They're actually in this building, which is funny, too. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> they are, they're running this pilot that they started out um, in Canada, and now they're moving it to Minneapolis, is putting an iPad at every table. What? So that you can order your own food, but also just play with the iPad while you're at Buffalo Wild Wings. I, I, see, I see this being a terrible idea because, I mean, like, can you imagine the amount of wet wipes you're going to have to yeah, go through for each, wet for each iPad? Oh, they, my god! They must have protective uh, film Well, yeah, but still, I mean, you'd have to, that'd have to be one of the things, like, the, you know, clean off the screen after every guest, don't you'd you think? You'd have to squeegee the iPad. I would want whatever case that they were putting on to the iPad to be on my iPad because they you got to think that they're they're testing this ag- against all sorts of so. weird strange habanero sauce and it's it right because you know <laughs> if you think about it I, iPads and barbecue sauce it wouldn't have yeah. been my first doesn't choice. mix doesn't mix yeah. very no. well someone's no. gonna have to develop a barbecue sauce proof iPad screen cover or <laughs> squeegee of some kind so, I don't know OtterBox might be able to come up with something yeah the OtterBox that's the type that I've got on my on my phone here and it uh, right. it is almost completely indestructible i take it out when i go do parkour and you know mm-hmm. i go jumping climbing falling that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and uh well the reason that i bought it was because it does the the new iphone does 1080p video mm-hmm. so i wanted to make a bunch of video montages but i also you know it's, it's like it's quite a sum of money for these iphones so it's like oh yeah yeah i think i want to get probably one of the best cases out there and it's like a triple or quadruple case protection kind of thing you can you know, throw this at your friend, and you don't have to worry about it breaking. Yeah, their sure. their thought process though is that it'll enhance the the customer experience. That you know, everyone brings their own um, smart devices now everywhere mm-hmm. they go and at restaurants. But this is a way to um, uh, get even more people using them, um, and then share with their the other people at the table instead of being on your own little iPhone. You're you're looking right. at things together. Well, I know that Buffalo Wild Wings also had this idea of kind of being. You know, at least for the ones in Madison that we can go to, you can either choose to order and not have a server and just pick up your own food or actually have a server come and do that. So maybe they're trying to cut down on, like, wait time and server yeah, time or yeah. something like that. I don't and know. And th- that would certainly do it. For I mean, sure. 
For yeah, sure. it reminds me of the um, some of the advertisements I saw a while back for the Microsoft Surface. Oh where yeah. Eventually, you know, potentially the table that you're sitting at, at least part of it, would be an interactive screen like an iPad, and what? you would drag things to it, and you could sort of drag and drop digital food items and send it off to the kitchen and have where it delivered. Where did that where did that idea even go? Like I'm still waiting for my Microsoft Surface table. Like I, I want to have it here right now, you know, running the faders on my table and they're going to make it connect controlled. <laughs> so I have to do some sort of weird dance. And you won't have to, to worry to about go. the wet naps if you just have to wave in the air and order your wild wings, right? So so and basically then, in then the future And we've got barbecue sauce on the walls, Andy. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, good thinking. So so in the future Creating it's going to be jobs. it's going to be like Tom Cruise in uh, what was that movie? Minority in Minority Report, when you're when you're ordering your Buffalo Wild Wings, you vroom, vroom, that kind of thing, moving it back and forth. Awesome. That would be pretty amazing. Right. My biggest concern is how do they uh, how do they integrate this with the wonderful trivia games they've got at Buffalo Wild Wings? Oh. Is Apple going to allow that software on the iPad? That's a good question because a lot of that uh, the trivia dun, games dun, is, uh, they're they're, uh, they're they're proprietary, aren't they? I mean, I would assume they are. You get so. little things and and you put in your answers. Yeah, I have you, you, you played two right. different computer console handsets at your table, one for trivia, one for food? Mm. I don't know. You, it didn't doesn't seem likely. It seems like it'd probably be something they'd integrate in, but mm-hmm. I guess we'll that have to wait and see. That may be the way that they're that they're going since they are big on trivia. <laughs> so. And wings. So. And wings. Yeah. So we'll we'll see how that works out. Maybe <laughs> maybe when it comes to Madison, we should all go check it out. We could we could do a show from Buffalo Wild Wings for sure for and, sure and talk about how well the iPads are going. All so. right, Teresa, I think we got time for maybe one more news, one or two, if we got a short one. But um, got anything fun? Well, I saw this device actually during the Super Bowl. Um, uh oh. And it was it was in a commercial. It was one of the the Samsung Apple like anti Apple user commercials um, where mm-hmm. they got the, the mm-hmm. people standing in line waiting for the next Apple product. And this guy walks up who has a Samsung phone, um, but he pulls out a stylus and starts writing on it. Where it has touch capability, mm-hmm. but also the ability to write on it with a stylus. Um, and not only does it do handwritten text, but it does. Um, text digitization, so Whoa. you can, you know, have a nice handwritten note with your handwriting, or <laughs> actually write up text. Are we going back to the uh, the? And uh, I, I think people are thinking the same thing that I'm thinking. Are we going back to the age of like the Newton, where you're trying to, you know, it, you write it in, and then it says something completely different than what you're. Well, reading? I mean, <laughs> obviously, well, and I'm sure as you know the the um, the the writing language for that. I believe it's called right. graffiti. Um, mm. And graffiti didn't actually when when you wrote some of the letters. I remember using it. You didn't. Some of the letters didn't look like the actual letter at all. They looked quite different because you needed to be able to write each letter with a single stroke. Oh. Um, so that's what was so difficult about it. And also, it was quite slow. You'd write the letter W, and then a second later, the letter W would appear. I see. Um, but this doesn't require graffiti. It takes in your natural handwriting. Um, but what it allows you to do is it has a like a notepad program that allows you to, you know, put your handwritten text here mm-hmm. and then your digitized text on the right side and then you drag in a picture and then you crop the picture and you could make this whole collage or, you know, um, like you would take notes in class when you actually have a notebook and a pencil in front of you. You're writing notes along and then your professor draws some kind of graph so then you draw the graph and you want it all on one page and you want it to be easy to use. Um, so the way that I see it is that by bringing the stylus back, now that handwriting technology is at a place where you can use your own natural handwriting, um, 
that it's it's actually an innovation. I don't see it as a step backwards. This is what I've been waiting for. I want to actually be able to hold my phone in one hand or a tablet, really, because the the Samsung Galaxy Note's bigger than the iPhone, which sure, is part of the sure, controversy. Sure. You say, ah, it's too big for a phone, too small for a tablet. Um, but I like the idea of holding, you know, something in my hand, and then with the other hand, I'm jotting it down. So does the stylus actually store in the phone? Do they have a little... Yeah, yeah, it actually just pops into the phone. So that's a big thing. I mean, because you can buy a stylus now and use mm-hmm. it. I mean, obviously, the software for the Galaxy is probably more integrated with the handwriting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a problem with my hands and touch screens. Sometimes my hands tend to sweat a lot, and mm-hmm. the conductivity don't doesn't work, mm-hmm. um, and I w- won't get it to be able to do anything. And then I'll mm-hmm. switch and try and use my left hand, and I, I I play a string instrument, so I have calluses on my left hand. Oh, and the okay. touch screen won't work with that either. So oh, I, wow. I would definitely like a stylus. Yeah, I like to think it also means that we won't see the death of handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> that With assumes all the that handwriting screens. is legible enough that it's someone else true. or the computer can understand. That's what you're exactly to what write. I was going to say right. right there. It's like they, they were they were heralding the you know the the medical technology advancements that said, hey, uh, you know, doctors don't have to write out handwritten prescriptions; they can type it now, and everyone can read it. And now, you know, uh, now Teresa wants to bring us back to <laughs> handwriting. Well, doc- <laughs> well, okay, so you type up, so the doctor can type up the prescription right mm-hmm. but what about a signature ah uh, uh, see i got you there ah uh, she does <laughs> she did give me and yep. this is so exciting for wisconsin winters i need to make an important phone call and now let me just wait until it's warm and i can take off my gloves there you go well actually um i actually have some in my pocket um gloves that um allow me to use my touch screen the tech store sells those because there are holes in them no 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 they no, have it's a conductive a, a, little it's, piece it's, it's oh. the fabric um, I'll try to get my gloves out now, but yeah, it's, the it's the fabric of the gloves. Um, the gloves are called AG, no, A gloves, I guess. A, <laughs> I'm not reading it right. But yeah, I can put this glove on right now and uh, I swipe. Yeah, and there, so, there, there are gloves that yeah. have the, the fingertip that you can flip over to to use them. Mm-hmm. Or there are gloves that just have the uh, special fabric right on the fingertip. Right. Um, but yeah, I can, I can swipe, I can zoom, and it's, it's great. Yeah, so, and if you want to pick some of those up, the tech store does sell them, don't they, Andy? Yes, we do have, um, not the variety that uh, Teresa has, but we do have some gloves that you can use with your iOS devices. Always great for the text addicted, for sure. All right, well, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break here, and we will be right back with all of our wonderful wonderful guests who talk today about uh, e-text and the e-text revolution, uh, how UW-Madison is trying out a new pilot program to help lighten the load on your backpack. So we'll be right back with more Do It Live.
And now, the Do It Live three disclaimers with our guest geek of the week, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Number one, the opinions expressed on this program do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Number two, products and services provided by the Division of Inflation Technology, aka Do It, and other university departments as well as drawings and giveaways may be only available to students, faculty, staff, or those currently affiliated with UW-Madison. Number three, Participants of this broadcast may offer opinions or recommendations to like recommending you to get to the chopper. However, they do not endorse nor has any consideration been provided on behalf of the products or services discussed. Now get to the chopper! Here's what happens to you when you've been picked up for drunk driving. This man knows what he's talking about. He's a lawyer. First thing, you'll get a breath test. If you fail, they'll arrest you on the spot. They can hold you in jail up to three days if they want to. If it's over a weekend, you could be in there even longer. By the time I see you, you're going to be scared and humiliated and wondering what's going to happen next. Well, you've lost your license, and now you're going to have a criminal record. Your insurance is going to go up. You're probably looking at at least $5,000 in fines, lawyer fees, and lost wages. And if you killed somebody... You're looking at time in prison, even with a plea bargain. In the end, there's only so much I can do. Last year, there were more than 34,000 DWI arrests in Minnesota. So get a designated driver, or pay the price. A safe and sober message from the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. with more do it live check us out online do it.wis.edu forward slash radio if you want to give us a call if you have a question call 608-AOK-WSUM that's 608-265-9786 you can also check us out online do it.wis.edu forward slash radio email us radio at do it.wis.edu or check out all the other wonderful ways to get in contact with us of which there are plenty <laughs> And uh, today we are talking about the e-textbook revolution, or what I guess I'm hoping is the e-textbook is the is the first uh, sounding call of the e-textbook revolution. Because guys, I got to tell you, I can remember a time lugging the backpack with the biology textbook all the way up and down Bascom Hill, and just oh, get into the dorms and oh my back, terrible. The pain. The pain. The pain of it all. And now we have uh, some wonderful guests in here to, today to talk to us about a pilot uh, program that UW-Madison is implementing to possibly alleviate some of that pain. You guys want to introduce the program? Anybody? <laughs> I guess we'll hand it over to Bruce. Yeah, so this, this program is uh, experimental. And we, along with uh, Cal Berkeley, Virginia, Cornell, and University of Minnesota, are trying out a limited sample. Uh, we have at Madison six faculty, five courses, expecting about 600 students total to be involved. And we're gathering data from the perspective of the faculty and from the perspective of students to see what we learn from the pilot. And what is the, what is the actual program that we're using called? The technology layer is called course load. Course load. Mm -hmm. Course load. And that is integrated within our D2L learning management system. Very cool. I've actually had a chance to look through some of the 
uh, some of the uh, uh, course load materials and, and, check, and check out the interface. And I got to say, it's pretty intuitive. It's pretty interesting, you know? Um, and so we also have a, a, a TA and a professor here that are going to be trying out uh, course load in their, uh, in, in their classes. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, we have a course called Forum on the Environment, uh, and ordinarily it uses a um, textbook that is heavy and quite expensive, as you <laughs> suggest. Yeah. And I think the students are interested in whether or not this will work. Um, and, you know, we're only a few weeks into the semester, and so it's mm-hmm. a little bit hard to say what the overall reaction will be. But I think it's fair to say that thus far it's been quite positive. Uh, there have been some questions about how to manage or manipulate pieces of the interface, but mm-hmm. uh, students in general are quite tech-savvy and seem to be figuring it out for the most part. That's great. Um, so, uh, you know, as far as... Um, I, I, okay, so on the with the technology, I mean, has it been... Have you, have you run into any particular issues or, or things that you think you'll have to address um, perhaps in a, in a second pilot? Um, needs that aren't being met uh, for particular students or any kind of um, limitations, I guess. Uh, what we heard thus far is two things. Students wanting to know uh, details about getting print copies uh, okay. f- for when they want to do their studying in the bathtub instead of uh, <laughs> in front of a computer. It's, that don't, could be a little hazardous. Don't use your electronic device in the bathroom, please. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I think Bruce can maybe expound on that a little bit, but it is possible both to get a a printed version of the entire textbook if a student is interested in that, or uh, get pieces uh, as needed, you know, a chapter at a time or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, The other issue that there were a few questions about is uh, manipulating the interface, particularly the the text size and fitting it into the screen and so forth. And, And again, uh, students seem to be able to, to figure it out. And as you suggest, it is a, a relatively intuitive interface. Mm-hmm. So I've, se- I've seen the interface, but I mean, all the people out there that are listening probably, you know, have not, well, I don't think anybody's gonna, had a chance to see it yet in, in terms of like a student or, or professor. Can you kind of give us a little description? Can you kind of walk us through what would happen, what it would look like? Does it look like a, just a straight up PDF? Um, what are the, the features that you've got in there? So what happens is when you uh, when you click the link to open up the e-text, you get uh, you get an interface where you essentially have a table of contents on the left side. When, once you get into the textbook, you've mm-hmm. got the table of contents over on the left side, um, essentially running down by chapters, and then the the right maybe two thirds of the uh, of the browser window is your book, and you can view a single page. You can do uh, two pages at a time if you really like that traditional. You know, I miss looking at the two pages <laughs> of the book and feel like I'm flipping through it. And you can see right. the, the single or the double page. You can um, you then have options to, there's kind of a scroll bar at the bottom of the screen. Uh, and you can drag that to, to flip through pages of the book. Or if you if you hold down on that or click on it, you'll get a uh, kind of a, almost like a PDF thumbnail image of each page popping up. So you can scroll through that. And if you, you know, if you have this visualization, I remember what this page looked like. I don't know what number it is. You can kind of flip through that mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. Um, there are controls to to zoom in on the pages. I know one of the concerns, as as Steve alluded to, was just text size. Because sure. right now, what the what the e text is doing is it's taking a full size book 
and putting it onto a computer screen, which is typically not the size of a full-size book. Um, and so a lot of students are, you know, you've, you've got to zoom in. So there are controls for zooming and for, for scrolling all around. Um, but it is, th- th- there are also options. If you right-click on the page, then you can, uh, you can add a note. So maybe you're like me, you really, really hate writing in books. Librarians love you, but it's really hard to, <laughs> I, to keep all these notes in your head. Well, you can right-click on the page and add notes, drag those around. I'm um, the exact same way. Yeah. I always loathed when I got a used book from the bookstore and it had highlighter everywhere. It's like, oh, dude, just keep a, keep a notebook. I mean, ugh, you know. But yeah, it's it's so uh, the notes feature was one thing that I wanted to touch on actually. Um, one of the cool things I saw on the notes feature is that the ability to like share notes and have a professor also throw in notes or mm-hmm. ideas. So if the professor has something they want to highlight, and that's another one, is you actually can uh, highlight in various colors on the text. Uh, so the professor can highlight a section of text and direct you to that. They can keep notes in the page uh, and share that with the class. So as you're reading through the textbook. Uh, you actually see the professor's notes, whether it's just trying to point out one section or add their additional thoughts that they'll bring up in class or weren't able to get to. Um, so there are a lot of capabilities in that in that respect. So it really goes above and beyond just being a replacement for your textbooks, and it really becomes a collaborative tool that you can use in the classroom to communicate with other students and your TAs and professors, which is something that's really cool, especially if it's a large lecture where there's 180 people in it or something you're never going to be able to communicate with each of those people in traditional means what one of the interesting things is that some of the early feedback we've received is that when faculty highlight more or annotate more the students actually use the textbook more we have what are called analytics that are coming in and so it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues and then what implications that has for faculty like Steve as he moves forward um, if he sees instances where students aren't using the text is that a way to you know get the interest level back up mm-hmm. this pilot came along too late to really design the course around this kind of capability um, but I can easily envision using it much more interactively um, you know a topic like uh, environmental studies is something that is fast moving you know there's changes every year every day and it's uh, nice to be able to in the notes provide hyperlinks to current events you know one of the things that's going on in wisconsin right now is frac sand mining and in the last week there's been several articles in the local press about that mm-hmm. uh, if we can put in the notes the links to the corresponding popular press it makes it much more real for students to understand how these issues are unfolding in front of them mm-hmm. on top of saying you know stuff is is changing all the time too uh, I'd, I'd assume that getting a digital version of it of a textbook would probably be a lot less costly for uh, the student and maybe in for, maybe even for the, the faculty um, when the uh, when the versions change, when there's new things added and deleted, I mean, is is that is that something that you foresee, you know, being a boon to the students? It's really good this year since the <laughs> pilot is free, but I'll let Les deal with that one in more detail. Sure. Well, in in the future, what our hope is is that we'll be able to uh, negotiate with publishers at a much greater scale. 
and by doing so be able to drive the costs of the tax down even further. This model that we're using right now originated at Indiana University, mm -hmm. so it's very early. For the pilot, we're only working with McGraw-Hill, but Indiana's working with other publishers. And so what our hope is, is through volume buying aggregation at a national level, that we'll be able to drive that cost down for students to a real significant level, and at the same time, allow the publishers to maintain a viable business model for themselves. So we're talking about a new ecosystem here, um, but we're also not in the short run talking about total elimination of books. Uh, we think there's going to be many instances where individuals are going to want to have books. For example, if it's a reference book that a student is going to want to have, then they will properly buy that and supplement and so on. And mm -hmm. in other cases, um, it just, this is going to take a while to sort out, which is one of the benefits of starting with a pilot. Now, do you have a, an idea if a lot of the publishers are really kind of on board with this e-textbook or not? Or, uh, I mean, I would assume that maybe some publishers are all gung-ho for it. Some publishers want to keep it with the the book model, maybe? I mean, I, I don't have much of an idea. Uh, McGraw-Hill is, is the one who's been most enthusiastic, and so they're the ones who we're working with on this pilot. Uh, McGraw-Hill also has other types of content in which they've baked in other kinds of technology and intelligence built into it and so on. So they're really interested in working with us as a partner, and this gives them a chance, I think, to be influenced by what we're experiencing as well. The Indiana University um, effort began about two years ago, and they have all the major publishers on board right now, with the exception of, of Pearson. Pearson mm. had some concerns, I understand, about the length of time in which students would be able to retain access to the content. But I just met this week with a Pearson representative, and they're very interested in working with us moving into the future. I think the key with publishers is going to be getting them on board so that we can truly work together as partners, that we not get in the way of faculty and individual autonomy on the part of the faculty, but that we also represent the interests of students, and that is drive the cost down, provide a feature set that hopefully can enhance learning. And for that to happen, I think we need to really have all publishers participating. Sure. Bruce, Bruce mentioned that there's uh, other kinds of um, web-intermediated textbooks out there. Mm -hmm. uh, what this approach provides is the ability for a faculty member to decide what and how to integrate technology uh, with the textbook, rather than taking uh, a publisher's solution to that, uh, where you accept what they think are the important <laughs> links or notes or whatever, uh, we retain local control, which I think at least most faculty appreciate. Yeah, because you definitely want to customize the the book and the content to your class, not teach some uh, some blanket idea if you've exactly. got a you know dissenting idea or something like that. Well, one one of the things that um, that uh, Bruce you you're, you said um, kind of struck me is that the uh, like retaining rights to the to the textbook. Do you foresee this being something that is uh, you only you know buy the textbook and it's yours for the uh, digitally at least for the semester or for the year? Do you see maybe different pricing models in terms of if a person wants to keep access to the to the textbook, or is it is that something that's even possible at this point? Well, this is an extremely dynamic environment that we mm -hmm. have right now, so this is fairly new. 
I expect to see multiple models being suggested and tried. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Indiana negotiated students having access to the texts for the lifespan of when they're students. Mm. Some of the pu publishers initially were uncomfortable with that, that most of them came around to that notion. I don't know where it's going to end up. There might be multiple layers, uh, levels of pricing mm -hmm. that get put in play. I think the the key there is to have good dialogue between the publishers and the universities and end up with an ecosystem that's going to respond to the needs of faculty, respond to the needs of students, and allows for a healthy, vibrant publisher community as well. Because it's the health of that community which I think is really important. We have interests. The publishers have interests working together. I think we can use our volume buying to be able to represent interest to students and drive those costs down significantly. Sure, sure. So uh, speaking of student needs, um, how are you addressing uh, student accessibility um, issues with okay. e-tax? The, the e I'll start and then turn over part to, to Les to okay. talk about this. When when we first started talking about this, um, I started talking about back in October with a meeting with uh, the course load folks as well as Indiana University, I asked them about accessibility. Of course, accessibility is a really big issue right now. And the National Federation of the Blind has been very active in representing the rights of those in that community as well as Department of Education and Department of Justice. And so I asked them very bluntly, have you run this by the National Federation for the Blind? And the answer was no. And I said, mm. well, if you really, and, and it isn't that they weren't doing work. It's they hadn't taken that additional step of asking an ad advocacy group, how does it stack up? And so they are now doing that. And they committed to doing that. And so what we expect is over the lifetime of this product and through the early stages that they'll continue to work to enhance those capabilities. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the uh, the vendor we're dealing with, the e-reader, is as Bruce had mentioned, is course load. They have committed themselves to be a leader, uh, foremost leader in the e-textbook e-reader market for accessibility. In April, we are expecting a major release uh, breakthrough that they have apparently they're giving us this information in advance but in mm -hmm. April we're expecting something big to be released with this particular vendor now it's kind of fortunate that we're dealing with a vendor for our first pilot that you know is, is so committed I can't speak to all of them but I know they're working on this but this is mm -hmm. promising great mm -hmm. And one of the important things about that is we have purposefully separated the content layer from the technology delivery layer and we think that's very important to give us leverage we can then work with the technology delivery layer people and influence them in design elements we can work separately with the publishers when they're baked together we oftentimes find we have less leverage because we're dependent on the publisher for their delivery mechanism. This separates it and gives us far more leverage in influencing their future development. And then also that, that means that people with multiple different kinds of devices can access the content. It's not tied to a certain device. It's absolutely a goal of ours is to allow students to choose what they are going to utilize as a device and to let that decision remain theirs. 
So we could see students walking around with their iPhones, their Android phones, their iPads, their Samsung, whatever it is, Galaxy, Galaxy Note, yeah. you know, or, studying. Yeah, or their or a laptop. I mean, yeah, or a know. laptop. That's or, or a Raspberry Pi. I think it's important to to keep in mind the, this technology right now, at least the way that we're implementing it, is not like downloading uh, a book from Amazon.com. Right. You go through the course management system. The student is authenticated into their course. And you need an internet connection. You, you need to go through the course management system, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Learn at UW to get this. Um, so, you know, there, there are some um, uh, differences that many people need to be aware of. There's important reasons why it's set up this way, but uh, I think we need to keep in mind that, that uh, this is not like uh, an iBook you put on your iPhone and you can... Right. Go to the beach. Right. Uh, you know, and and read your textbook. However, you can download the entire e-text to your device for a fourteen-day period. But you'd have to do that during during the time that you were connected to the internet. Right. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, because I I assume that there'd be a big uh, there there'd be kind of a big uh, discussion between publishers and and educators uh, if they weren't going through this content delivery system if they weren't being authenticated right. about well you know what's to prevent you know Susie from giving Jane her textbook and Bill from giving Bob his textbook and that kind of stuff so exactly. yeah but th- they will be able to also print out the text. If you can have hard copies in two ways. You can, on the uh, in your e-reader, there's a little button up in the left. If you want to order a, a hard copy, a printed hard copy of the book for under $30, uh, you can do that. It's uh, black and white, and it would be mailed to you uh, from McGraw-Hill. You also have the option of printing out a limited number of pages per shot. So you can be reading your textbook, and I believe you can print out about 30 to 50 pages. But you could, in theory print your entire book out but you couldn't do it in one operation so if you wanted to mm-hmm. say head to the beach that day you could print out a chapter yeah, that's or two. right yeah. mm-hmm. well that's great that that students have that they they'll continue to have options for a long time um just in case you know that something goes wrong um with uh, your ability to read it, you can go to a computer, get it printed off, and know that you're going to be prepared for class. Because I could see, you know, if it, if the service goes down or something, that you, you have to leave that option available for students to still be able to um, access it with those methods. I just see all kinds of advantages to have a digital copy of, mm-hmm. of something. Um, I know I, I was a literature major, and just trying to search a text and doing that manually to try and find something where you could just you know search it digitally and be able to find a quote or a, a mm-hmm. particular passage that you remember but can't find it in the text and just the the time saving that that would do you know aside from it saving your back not having to carry <laughs> oh, around sure. the riverside shakespeare up and down bascom hill like i did but. yeah that's actually why i typed all of my notes as um even when studying with classmates um and we would say okay you know the professor said we need to cover this topic and they're flipping through their notes i just pull up a little text search and i found it and i said oh it's from this day and it should probably roughly be on this page and mm-hmm. it would speed up the process to be able to when you're studying to be able to find what you're looking for right away or to figure out if it you know wasn't if you weren't at class that day or um, and to be able to share notes um, when students you know their computer crashed or they lost their notebook or something and being able to share that with other students i think is yeah. it's great right and all the techniques that students are using now 
in their use of the internet, things like tagging become, mm-hmm. I mean, they're second nature. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it allows them to continue to work the way they're used to working. Mm-hmm. And all the annotations they make, they, they go back up to a server here mm-hmm. on campus? Well, so it's that. in the cloud. Okay. It's, uh, the, the e-reader provider, the vendor, of oh, course, okay. in this case, uh, manages that. Right, so you you'll never re- you could never really lose. So if you if you drop your iPhone in a puddle, all of your notes are okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. And That's and then great. you you can share these notes, but you all the students also have the ability to not share their their annotated notes as well. Yeah, it's not on by default, is what we're saying, right? Yeah, it's 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 interesting, you know, just kind of thinking about this and, and imagining a world with you know only e textbook. It's it, it's kind of you know, th- this pilot is almost sort of like heralding in a new type of learning culture. I want to go back to school now. Yeah, I, and it, it's, <laughs> exactly. It's, that's what we want to hear. <laughs> it's very <laughs> interesting. And and you know, I'm I'm wondering, like, well, gosh, there's so many businesses, uh, especially around universities, not just ours, but all universities, that are built around the buying and selling of textbooks. And now to be able to kind of bypass that and you know, just goes direct from the source without going through a middleman. I mean, I wonder how that's going to sh- how it's going to shape the geography of the area in terms of like business and 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 that sort of thing. You know, I, I don't know if that's even our you know our our realm to say you know what is good and bad. But yeah, one of the things we've done is we have alerted the bookstore to what we're doing. <laughs> that's a good thing. That's with a good thing. Pilot. And we're so we're working with them mm-hmm. and. Uh, where this goes in the future, I'm not sure, but I do know that if you work together as partners, the mm-hmm. likelihood of better outcomes for both parties will be enhanced. And so we're going to be taking that path that the bookstore has been uh, a great partner for many years, and now let's work with them and see how do we how do we head forward in mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. It's always possible that the, the bookstore be- could become the portal through which students select their textbooks, or I don't know, yeah, to be maybe. able to, when they have to pay for them, you know, go through the university bookstore and do it that way, and they'll just become more of an online entity instead of a brick and mortar store. Maybe they'll build a giant video arcade in the basement and just sell Bucky stuff on the. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, um, and I suppose you know, like uh, like we've alluded to, there's there's always going to be an interest in actually having a physical copy of a textbook, especially if it's something that is. Uh, short term. I mean, I can only think of. I, I've done a, a few. I did a few literature courses when, back when I was here, and you know, some of the books that that we read in the courses. Uh, I just, you know, some of my favorite books of all time. I couldn't picture myself not having a phys- being able to pick up a physical copy and read through it again, and you know, kind of leaf through my notes, kind of kind of idea. So, I, you know, I wonder if if that's going to stay, or if it's only going to be just like a textbook, textbook kind of thing. I don't know. Well, I think the important thing is that we provide options. Mm-hmm. And so the more options, I think, the greater likelihood there will be of satisfying the needs and the interests of a, a broad group of, uh, of stakeholders. I think you'll probably always have a place for the physical books. Um, I, I can't imagine going through a, a theater course and trying to read my lines out of out of Hamlet off of my e-reader <laughs> or off of my laptop. Uh-huh. So. You could just have it read it for you. Though. Oh, wait, oh, wait, my battery's dying. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
what awesome. light through one yonder window breaks I and just, low battery. Low. I see the potential for better content, too, in <laughs> courses as the time goes. Uh, we talked about um, that analytics are a part of this. And, you know, I can see a professor saying, well, nobody's looking at this document here at all. So maybe that doesn't need to be included next next time. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. search for better content or you see that, that, that a portion of your content is really getting hit, that maybe we need to go into more depth about that particular. An- analytics are going to be incredibly important to the faculty so that they can see the relationship between usage and learning or engagement and mm-hmm. so on to be able to find provide that fine tuning in a way that's a little more automated and so over time, I'm sure we're going to be working on alerts that can can be sent automatically mm. when you see instances where a student's not accessing content and so on. Um, you know that that allows the faculty to intervene in an appropriate manner, and so that's just going to be a part of the landscape very soon, I believe. Mm. There was one other thing that I saw in the little walkthrough that I saw on on this on this technology. Um, built into it is the ability to ask a professor a question as well. Uh, that's that's correct, right? Can you see that being, you know, being more useful than a than a straight up email since they're going to be able to tell you what, you know, what part of the textbook they'll have questions in and uh, I'm probably the luddite in the crowd and, <laughs> and so I I don't know that I will in uh rapidly respond to the, to that uh area. It's just, you know, one more piece of scanning that I need to do each day. Um but I'm sure there are faculty that would find that a, a very useful process. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the things that we really want to do is compare notes with the other four universities. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the response from our faculty, the responses from the other faculty, responses from our students, the other students at the other four universities, this is going to be really important to us mm-hmm. as we plan moving into the future. Well, gentlemen, thanks so much for being here today and for talking about e-textbooks. And uh, looks like our hour is just about up here. But before we go, we got a bunch of people to thank. Uh, special thanks go out to our management team at the Division of Information Technology. Perry Brunelli, Ryan Hansen, Edward Hoover, Brian Kishner, Ty Leto, Neil Mack, Mark Nessel, Brian Rust, and Bill Zimmerman. The Director of User Services is Kathy O'Brien. Duet's Chief Operating Officer is John Krogman. And our CIO and Vice Provost for Information Technology is Bruce Moss. Today's broadcast was produced by Ty Christian, Sandy Cyberlick, and Adam Wiesenfarth. Our associate producers are Laura Grady, Teresa Saldana, and Nathan Cohen, with assistance from Dan Collins, Matthew Siriani, and the Nates, Harrison Weber, and Zastro. Our on-air producer and director of e-communications is Matt Rockwell, and our theme music is from Conan. The executive producer of Do It Live is Jesse LeGrew. Join us next week where we will talk tech again for another hour, and we'll see you then.
Is ever 